Hello, everyone. My name is Aylan Bennett. I'm Vice President of Practice and Field Advancement at Education Reimagined. We are a catalytic organization with the mission of ensuring that learner-centered education is available to all children in the United States. Previous to that, I was with a small state public district in Rhode Island called the Met School in Providence, Rhode Island, and I was a teacher, a principal, and a district lead there for, for about 15 years. So like to talk to you all a little bit today about Education Reimagine's work in the learner-centered field, but first start off a little bit with our, with our origin story. Back in 2014, Education Reimagined, in cooperation with an organization called Convergence, gathered 28 diverse stakeholders. These stakeholders represented fields like higher education, workforce development, youth development, PK-12 education, both in the conventional sector, the reform sector, and the transform sector. And these folks took a year-long journey to really dive into this question. If you were going to recreate the education system, really letting go of the current legacy system, and if you were going to start anew with new possibility, what would you envision? And they came up with this learner-centered vision after that year-long journey. And within that learner-centered vision, there are a set of assumptions that we really hold that set us apart from the conventional dominant current mode of education in, in the country. And it really changes how one sees learners learning and the purpose of education. I mean, it's a really a distinct field that we are trying to expand and calibrate and collaborate with over the past uh, eight years or so of our organization's existence. And so let me dive into some of those five assumptions. And so um, the very first assumption, uh, which makes it distinct from the uh, conventional system, is that the work of education is learning and not the delivery of education. And that education is a natural process and no one has to be coerced or forced into the process if it's done well. And so that's the first assumption. The second assumption is that education is done by and with the learner and not to and for the learner. And in that way, the learner-centered education, the adult roles really shift, more of a facilitator and a person who knows the child really well and can support them no matter their uh, various strengths, needs, and lived circumstances. Their third assumption is that all learners are unique, wondrous, and curious and that they shouldn't be compared to some mythical average learner, that that doesn't exist. That diversity and that difference has to be applied to all children, no matter their race, no matter their lived experience, their neurodiversity or physiodiversity, gender, uh, sexual orientation, any of those things has to be applied to all children, and we mean each and every child. The fourth assumption is that learning happens when a learner's purpose, interests, and curiosities are embraced, and that is really the centerpiece of their learning. And it's often the conventional's desire to put kids into a, fit kids into a box and bring them to a common destination and sifting and sorting them along the way that causes some of the issues that we see as disengagement, you know, behavior issues, uh, and problems in the classroom. And then finally, the fifth assumption and an overarching assumption is that the purpose of education is for every learner to discover who they are, their unique gifts, and how they can contribute those gifts meaningfully into the world in a life that is thriving and meaningful to them. Within those five assumptions of learner-centered education, it is really a worldview. It is not based on a model or a a design structure or, or anything like that. It is really how you see learners learning and the purpose of education. And so we see this expressed all over the country over our 10 years of discovery. So it looks different at Big Picture Learning. Learner-centered education looks different at Montessori. Learner-centered education looks different in Acton Academies, for example. So it's really not about a model, it's about a worldview of how you see children in learning. 
That being noted, we have seen five common design elements within learner-centered environments that really distinguish them either, even further from conventional learning environments. And so I'll go over those five elements now. The first one is that uh, these environments cultivate learner agency. And when we say learner agency, we mean that the, there are structures in place for learners to, to increasingly develop ownership over their learning journey based on their developmental readiness to take that agency on and that their learning is purposeful and meaningful to them. The second is that these environments ensure that the learning is socially embedded and that they really take the stance that education is fundamentally a relational endeavor and that these learners build their socially embedded capacities with their peers, with other adults, with the entire community. And they do so in a way to ensure that learners can bring their entire selves into any space that they go to. And they can be 100% their authentic selves in the room, leaving nothing at the door. And so that's what we mean by the socially embedded element. The next element is that they make learning personalized, relevant, and contextualized. And this is often a co-opted term or a term that means different things to many different people. So when we say personalized, we do not mean personalized in that learners have limited choice on how they engage or that they can move so in their own sort of time and pace. It is really that personalized meaning that it, the starting point is the learner's interest, their passions, and their desires and where they want to go in the world. And that is the starting point for them. And then it is also a match for their needs and strengths as learners. And so when you combine those two things, the learning automatically becomes relevant and contextualized to that learner in a little bit more powerful way. The fourth element is that they make their learning environments open-walled, meaning that they really acknowledge that learning happens everywhere and anywhere at any time. And not only that, that they also ensure that those learning experiences are credentialed. So it's not something extra you do because there's something special about the hours of 9 to 3 or an assignment because it's directed by a teacher. They understand that learning experiences happen all over the place and that they work hard to make sure that they're credentialed and recognized as powerful learning experiences. And then the last design element that we have seen commonly in learner-centered environments is that they make learning competency-based. And by competency-based, which is another term that means different things in different fields, in our distinctions for competency-based, it really means that a learner can show what they know and what they can do in a way that is a match for their strengths, needs, and desires in the future. And that is really a match to them. And it is not a way to sort and sift students using common standardized tests and then put them into, into certain buckets as learners. And so within those uh, five elements and within those five assumptions, you know, over the past eight years, we've really acknowledged the presence of diversity, inclusion, and equity within those distinctions. Because if you really honor that every learner is curious, wondrous, and unique, then that you will do your best to make sure that the learning environment is, is diverse. If you really want an environment to be socially embedded, you have to have a strong, inclusive lens to do that. And if you really want to support every learner to understand who they are, what they can contribute to the world, and then their gifts and, and their passions, that you're going to serve them in a way that best serves them, which is much different than the distinctions for equity and diversity and inclusion that happens in the conventional sector. You know, and that organization really believes that it sits in two different beliefs around what diversity is. In a conventional system, diversity is really simply the presence of a diversity. In learner-centered environments, we see that they not only have the presence of diversity, but they see that diversity as essential for having strong, powerful learning experiences because we can all share and learn from each other who have different lived experiences. Uh, inclusion in a conventional setting is really about just sending an invitation, really we like to say like an invitation to the party. And in the learner-centered environment, it is creating a condition where people don't need an invitation. 
they simply feel welcome to join into a community of, of human beings and they can be their full 100% authentic selves when in their space. And, and lastly, in equity, equity in the conventional system is really about getting kids to the same place using pretty similar mechanisms to get them to that place. And in the learner-centered environment, it is really equity is about giving every single learner what they need to thrive and be successful in their PK-12 experience and after. At the same time, compensating for the historical inequities that exist in the world and making sure that those are corrected so that they can thrive in the world. And so, particularly since the pandemic, uh, Education Reimagined has really been focused on expanding and elevating single-site learner-centered environments. So identifying learner-centered environments across the country, connecting them with other learner-centered environments because they're often siloed in, in small pockets across the country. So letting them know that there is a community and a movement going on and doing our best to elevate what they're up to and then furthering learner-centered practice. But something that came across in some of the data and the research we were doing was during the pandemic was how much the community really, really picked up where the PK-12 system couldn't fulfill its role. And so we saw youth development sector really stepped up. We saw social service sectors really step up and fill some of those academic and social emotional gaps that came in. And they were doing so in a really ecosystemic way and really just connecting folks from the school out into the community um, based on necessity. So we did observe that happening, but we saw it happening at different levels. And what we realized and what we witnessed was that it was more often families and learners that had access and means, both financially and just with social capital, they were the ones successfully navigating these emerging ecosystems of learning. And so while Education Reimagined acknowledged that a lot of the most advanced learner-centered environments were already operating ecosystemically, that it could not be delivered equitably because it is not accessible to all learners across the country. And so that's when we really pivoted to this idea of ecosystems of learning. And so this is really acknowledging the wisdom and the resources that live in the community and allowing learners and learning environments to access an entire suite of learning experiences for, for their learners and doing so in a way where they don't have to make programmatic choices when they are delivering that. In this ecosystem design, we saw different aspects of ecosystems emerging. So the first ecosystem we acknowledge was the one that I just mentioned, where there are community resources centered on learning, and then there's the school. And they're completely siloed and separated, and it's up to the family and the child to navigate that ecosystem. The second version we saw, and you can often think of cities of learning, like Chicago City of Learning or Dallas City of Learning, where the out-of-school time partners and the community partners are really well-connected. But they're still not connected to school, None of those learning experiences are credentialed by the school, and it's often seen as a, an addition or an extracurricular for the child. And it's really in, in service of the PK-12 or to fill in the gaps that the PK-12 system cannot sort of contend. And we would also say that is often inequitable because that's up to a family's ability to sometimes mostly pay for those uh, opportunities and to access those opportunities. Uh, the third sort of ecosystem we see is a really, you can compare it to the community school model, so think like Harlem Children's Zone, for example, where there are very intentional systems in place to connect the out-of-school uh, players and have them do push-in services into the school. So sometimes you'll see community partners come in and do social services, they'll come in and do extracurricular, they'll come and do uh, a wide variety of things inside of the school. 
Um, and, you know, at varied and varied environments, different types of environments, sometimes that learning is credentialed, sometimes it's not. But again, it is really in service of the school and based on families to access that school itself. And just like some of the learner-centered environments, we find that there's not enough, uh, and not enough to meet the demand for families. Uh, the next type of ecosystem we see is the one that we see in the most current uh, advanced learner-centered environments. And in, in, in that sort of model or framework, in this fourth framework for ecosystems, there's a single site that really uh, allows kids to access learning at any time, anywhere, credentials that learning, and really has strong partnerships with families, with the community, and vice versa. The community has strong partnerships with the school. I happen to be you know, I happened to teach and be a principal at one of these types of ecosystems, the Met School in Providence, Rhode Island, where, you know, as long as, long as it met certain criteria of rigor and reflection, any experience that a learner had was able to be credentialed and counted towards their high school experience. And so this is the most advanced, this is the most ecosystemic. And at the same time, there's a certain level of fragility with these single sites and that, those type of ecosystems. Because if the centralized hub of this hub-and-spoke model of ecosystem shuts down, that ecosystem immediately collapses, and the learners can have that experience. And we've seen that way too often in the learner-centered movements. These bright spots of learner-centered will, will shine for a few years, and then they'll, they'll shut down. And that's from various constraints that come, come within the, the conventional system. And it's really based on this idea that learner centers environments are playing by a different playing a different game, but trying to use the same rules to play that game. And so it is a level of fragility with these hub and spoke models of ecosystem. And so it's this last vision of ecosystems where you have numerous sites all within a community, all sharing services together, all sharing the community's assets and resources, and really allowing families to navigate a rich array and variety of resources across the community, and doing so in a way that builds social capital, that exposes them to new experiences, and has the community see the value of kids, and kids see the value of community, um, which is really important right now as we battle brain drain and flight from community. I can think of myself, the first thing I wanted to do when I got out of high school was leave my town. And so we're really trying to shift that paradigm where kids can see value in the community that they work in, contribute to it while they're still in school, and that the community can see the same in their young people. That we don't send kids to school to prepare them to be contributors to society, that they're full whole individuals right now and that they can, can contribute to the world right now. And so that's what Education Reimagine has been up to over the past year. And so our current work is identifying these powerful ecosystems of learning, elevating these ecosystems, and then trying to do what we do with learner-centered environments and really create a community of practice where they can learn from each other across district boundaries, state boundaries, and community boundaries. Yeah, I think our sort of partnership and our connection with ELA is very natural because if all children are going to be served, it is almost impossible to do it within the confines of the current dominant system uh, because there's choices that have to be made when serving every kid. The, the system was not designed to differentiate, to provide individualized supports or curriculum for learners. It was really designed in a different paradigm for learning where the thought was very industrial where you can have kids have similar tracks, have similar experiences, and if there was any difference, you just track them and put them on a different assembly line. And so that is what the current system is designed to do. So to try to fix that is like trying to put, 
you know, wings on a Model T Ford and telling it go to the moon, that it's just, it's impossible for it to happen because it's not what it was designed to do. So it's no fault. It's not that the conventional system loves kids any less. It's just they're trying to operate within a system that is doing the work. So if you are going to educate all children, it has to be in a learner-centered paradigm of education and not in an industrial conventional model.